0: Romans 8, verses 1 through 11. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... He is not His. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you.
1: Thank you, Brother Jeff. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the privilege now of looking at your word, and I pray you'd guide us and direct us as we do. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit. Help me as I teach uh, to say nothing I ought not to and only things I should. Help me, Lord, to boldly say anything I should. And just guide us all, Father. Give us ears to hear today. This is your word. This is your message for us today. And so speak to us. I pray as I've already prayed and continue to pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here today who does not yet know the gospel, has not yet received Christ as Savior, that as they think on these things, they will do so. And I pray that as Christians, as we think on these things, we will find more and more reasons to rejoice. For, Lord, you are such a great God, and you have done such great things. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the key verse in this passage that I want us to concentrate on this morning is verse number 9. Our brother Jeff read it. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. I want to speak to you this morning on the topic of the Spirit dwells in you. The Spirit dwells in you. You you may remember a couple of weeks ago, last week we got to hear from Brother Josh, but a couple of weeks ago you may remember a reference in the message to chapters 7 and 8 of Romans being referred to as the agony and the ecstasy with chapter 7 describing the agony of trying to live up to the law of God in and and of ourselves, in our own abilities and in our own strengths and in our own uh, flesh. And chapter 8 describing the ecstasy of doing that uh, by the uh, empowering of the Holy Spirit of God. Well, the verses that we're reading now in chapter 8 are kind of summing that up and describing that great contrast. And what we're taught here in these passages is that it is impossible uh, to do this in our strength. Completely. And what is impossible for us to do in our strength is completely possible for him to do. And for us to do in his strength. The spirit-indwelt, spirit-controlled, spirit-empowered Christian can obey the law and can live up to uh, what pleases God, can live a life that pleases God, because we're indwelt by the Spirit of God. The resources come from the indwelling Holy Spirit, whom every Christian welcomed into his life when he trusted Christ as his Savior or her Savior. Now, I want to I break down this section into two main points. The second point, the main one, we'll spend the most time on it today, but uh, the first one's worth mentioning as well. So if you're taking notes, you could write down these two main points this morning. Number one, he released me. And number two, he remade me. Two thoughts. First of all, in verses 2 through 4, we see he released me. You know, there are so many ways of describing what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And we've already talked about some of them here this morning, and and, uh, we've talked about some of them as we've studied through Romans. Uh, We we know that He saved us. We know He justified us. And, of course, that's a favorite one of Paul. It's throughout the vernacular of all of of Romans. Uh, And that is actually his theme. We have been justified by faith, Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1. We have also been sanctified. We've been redeemed. We've been born again. All wonderful things to describe what happened for us on the cross and happened when we place our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But as I read these verses, there's yet another description here which I like, and I just want to mention it. I don't think it's Paul's central point at all here, but it just jumps out at me, and, and, and I just want to mention it. It's in verse number two. He said, "He has made me free." You see that there? He has made me free. So many great songs have been written around that particular concept, that particular description. Albert Brumley put it like this. He said, Once like a bird in prison I dwelt, no freedom from my sorrow I felt, but Jesus came and listened to me, and glory to God, He set me free. He has made me free. He set me free. Yes, He set me free. He broke the bonds of prison for me. I'm glory bound by Jesus to see, for glory to God, He set me free. That sounds like a Connie song to me. I think that's one she might play. And I don't know how anybody would ever improve on Charles Wesley's Wesley's brilliant hymn. I mean, I don't know that you could ever come up with words that said it better than he did in that great hymn, And Can It Be. There's a verse that says this. It says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. He has made me free. It's a glorious truth. It's a wonderful truth uh, for us to get hold of as Christians. If, he, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He has freed you. All those other things are wonderfully true. Justified, born again, saved, redeemed. All that stuff's true. But think about that. He has freed you. He has released you. You are free from the tyranny of trying to live up to the demands of the law. You are free to live in the power of the Holy Spirit of God which indwells every Christian. He has made me free. Now, we can't see it in our English Bibles, but you know the the New Testament was originally inspired in in the Greek language. And in the Greek, there are various tenses, to words, and the tenses sometimes are very helpful to us, and they teach us some things. Uh, For example, in this case, we see that this is the Greek aorist, tense. And you know what that means? That means that this refers to something that took place in the past and continues in the present and on into the future. He has made me free. He made me free once and for all in the past. And that freedom continues to this day and forever. And so it's a phrase that suggests a once-for-all act of freedom at salvation. He has made me free. I don't know about you, that makes me want to shout. It's a glorious thing to think about. He has made me free. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns on love. Amazing grace. He has made me free. Well, that's wonderful truth. And that's our first point. But as I said, I don't think it's Paul's main point. I think Paul's main point we see in verses 5 through 11 when he talks about the fact that he, he remade me. Yes, he released me. That's good stuff. But he remade me. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Who's Paul talking about, first of all, in these verses and in verses 5 through 11? He appears to be talking about two different types of people. Who is he talking about? Or is, is he talking, for example, about uh, two different types of Christians, carnal Christians versus spiritual Christians? Some would say that's what it is. Uh, or is he talking about Christians and non-Christians, uh, lost people versus saved people? And I, I believe the answer is uh, the latter. I think it is the latter. He's talking about saved versus lost. There's all kinds of things here that indicate to us he's talking about two different groups of people. All kinds of contrasts here. If you look at verse 4, he talks about uh, there's a group that's walking according to the flesh versus a group that's walking according to the spirit. In verse number 5, there's a group that's living according to the flesh versus one that's living according to the spirit. Also in verse 5, one whose minds are set on the things of the flesh versus minds set on the things of the spirit. Verse 6 talks about the carnally minded versus the spiritually minded. Verse 6 talks about those who are uh, it talks about death versus life. Uh, at verses 6 and 7, those who are at war with God versus those who are at peace with God. Verse number 8, those who are pleasing self versus pleasing God. Clearly, there's a, a contrasting group of people here. And I think that as we look at these, we see the only one that makes really, really makes sense is that he's talking about the saved versus the lost. Uh, and if you question that, we can talk about that later, but uh, that's what I believe it means. The saved versus the lost. And so the... The, the question is, what is the big difference he's describing here between the lost and the saved? And I think what he's saying is the Christian, the saved, has been remade. He has been remade. They no longer walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, verse number 4 says. See, it's important for us to think about the fact that a Christian is not simply somebody who's trying to live a better life. A Christian is not simply somebody who's cleaned up their act and is, uh, is, has turned their back on sin. Uh, not somebody who's just trying to do better. I had somebody say that to me one time when I asked them if they were saved, and they, said, and they said, "Yes." And I asked when they got saved, and they said, "Well, I just decided I wanted to try to do better." That's not what a Christian is. A Christian is not such a person. And if that's what you think makes you a Christian, then I have a very important word for you right now. I say it as lovingly as I can, but if that's what you believe, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. You're not saved. You're still lost. A Christian is someone who is changed and regenerated and transformed and remade by the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. And it's this transformation, this regeneration that makes the difference between being lost and being saved, between the Christian and the non Christian. It's this transformation, this regeneration that makes it possible for Paul's tone of hopelessness in chapter 7 to turn into his shout of glory in chapter 8. It's the difference. Between being lost and being saved. And so I ask you this morning, have you been remade? Have you been born again? Are you now, as he said it in verse number one, in Christ Jesus? We asked that question a couple of weeks ago. Has a change occurred in you such that you do not now walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit? As he says in verse number four. Do you now live according to the Spirit rather than the flesh? According to verse number five. See, this is important stuff. This is vital stuff. It's important for us to understand this truth. The Christian is not simply forgiven and saved. The Christian is actually regenerated. The Christian is actually changed. The Christian is actually reborn. And that's what these verses are describing here. That transformation. And that's why I say that if there is no change in you, then it brings everything about your salvation into question. The psalmist said in Psalm chapter 55 and verse number 19, or he at least mentions there, that those who do not change, uh, that there are those who do not change because they do not fear God. And he's implying in that verse at least, that if we're in our relationship with God, there will be changes in our life. There will be something different if you fear God. A fellow by the name of Stanton Gavitt wrote a song called Things Are Different Now. Listen to the words of this song. He said, things are different now. Something happened to me. When I gave my heart to Jesus. Things are different now. I was changed. It must be when I gave my heart to Him. Things I loved before have passed away. Things I love far more have come to stay. Things are different now. Something happened that day when I gave my heart to Him. And see, that's the truth of it. Transformation. He remade me. Regeneration. Last Lord's Day during the communion meditation, I think it was last Lord's Day, uh, this was discussed And the verse, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, was read, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. So we ought to do that, ought not we? We ought to examine ourselves. And we ought to say, has this change taken place in our life? Because Paul makes it plain here that apart from the indwelling Spirit, there is no salvation. It's not an option. Apart from the changes that take place due to the indwelling Spirit, there is no indwelling Spirit at all. If we don't see the change, it's because it's not there. And we need to recognize that. So have you changed? Are things different now? Paul described some things about this remaking, this regeneration. And so let's look at a few of those. And maybe that will help us as we examine ourselves this morning. Notice, uh, I think I just pulled out three things here that I want to share with you. He said, for example, that this, uh, this remaking, this transformation, is the defining characteristic of a Christian. The defining characteristic of a Christian. You can see it there in verses 9 through 11. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, in those verses, every time you see the word if there, every time, except the second time, you could rightly substitute the word since. That word can mean if, it can also mean since. And I believe here it means since. Think about it. Let's read it that way. Every time except the second time, you can translate that word if as since. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. He's talking to Christians. They're by the Spirit of God. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And since Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But since the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. See, it's not a matter of if, if the Holy Spirit indwells us as believers, but rather the glorious truth is that since He does, every aspect of our being is changed. We are no longer in the flesh, but in the Spirit. We no longer walk in the flesh, but in the Spirit. We no longer live in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Can You see, it's the defining characteristic of a Christian. He or she is in the Spirit, indwelt by, empowered by, and changed by the Holy Spirit of God. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is the identifying mark of every true believer. John said it like this, Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. He also said, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his Spirit. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. We didn't read that far, but if you look down you'll see it. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so it's the identifying mark. It's, It's clearly... Of the identifying characteristic of a Christian. And if, if the absolute centrality of that is not, sent, is not clear to you uh, from that, Paul leaves us no wiggle room in verse number 9. He makes it very clear there. He says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. It's not possible to be saved and not be indwelt by the Spirit of God. The English Standard Version makes that a little clearer. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. It's as simple as that. So this regeneration, this remaking by the Spirit of uh, of God into a completely new creation is the defining characteristic of of a Christian. And therefore, if you can't find evidence of it in your life, you need to be asking yourself some questions. You need to be asking very clearly. You need to recognize that you very likely are not a believer. You very likely are not a Christian. James Montgomery Boyce said, Many who are not living by the Spirit need to awaken to the fact that they're not truly Christians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Is it true of you? So that's the first thing that we see here, is that uh, it is your defining characteristic as a Christian. Notice another thing Paul says about this. He says it affects your mind. It affects your mind. Did you notice how many times he mentions mind there? It's interesting, especially in verses 5 through 7, his fixation on the mind. And we've already determined here that he's talking about the lost and the saved in in this section. And so we can see in these verses that what he's saying is, he's saying that there is a way of thinking that characterizes the saved, and there is a way of thinking that characterizes the lost. When we become saved, when we become Christians and we are indwelt by the Spirit of God, it affects our minds. We think differently than we did before we got saved. Because the Holy Spirit has changed us and made us. That includes our minds. The spirit-indwelt Christian thinks differently than the lost person. And by the way, the devil knows that. The devil knows that perfectly well, and he knows how important the mind is in the general scheme of things, and that's why he delights in trying to mess with our minds. That's why he delights and fights so hard to control it. If he can get the mind of a person, he has the person. Let me talk to parents just for a moment about that. And maybe I'm digressing here. I don't know, but I, I can't help myself. You know, parents, your children are bombarded by Satan's influence over, your, over their minds. It's horrible. TV, Internet, Facebook, Twitter, public education. All of that is Satan's attempt in many ways to control the mind. And you as parents... Have an opportunity, to you have a choice to counteract that by ensuring that their minds are influenced by right truth. Things like uh, Sunday school, vacation Bible school, Camp Carl, teen meetings on Sunday nights, junior church. Uh, You can think of all these things. Sunday morning services, preaching. Uh, Bible studies, home Bible studies, sitting around your home taking the Bible and sharing that truth with, with, with your children. We need to recognize, parents, how, how mindset influences behavior. And if we allow our children's minds, their mindset, their worldview to develop apart from a scriptural worldview, I, 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 think, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that we have a, almost a 100% probability that they are lost if we allow the world to be the only thing that influences them. Parents are responsible for training up their children in the right way. Parents are the ones the Bible said, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Parents, especially fathers. Dads, this is bad stuff, but it's true. Especially fathers, Ephesians say. Fathers bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And if your idea is to leave it up to them, they will with almost 100% probability fall prey to the world's mindset and be lost. I was speaking, I mentioned this in Sunday school this morning, I was speaking just recently with an unsaved friend. You do have unsaved friends, right? You know, there's no way you're going to win anybody to Christ if you don't have some unsaved friends. You have to hang around with unsaved people once in a while. And uh, so, anyway, I was talking with this unsaved friend. And the subject of Planned Parenthood's disgusting, vile, wicked harvesting of baby parts and selling them for profit came up. And I'm sure I was frothing at the mouth as I was talking with him. But he looked at me with this amused gaze and pointed out to me what he thought must be intuitively obvious, even the most casual observer, that I, I was obviously so ignorant that I did not understand. And he said to me, they're not selling baby parts. They're selling, quote, fetal tissue. tissue unquote you know he 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 believed that he had bought into that and i looked at this person who i've always believed was probably a moral person uh somebody who who understands the difference between right and wrong there was no such thing as fetal tissue just a very short time ago but the the wicked world has just coined a new word They've just redefined. They've just decided to come up with a, way, a new way to describe it. That's their mindset. And they've got a hold of people's minds. And they've got people now to the point where they wait. Fetal tissue. If it's just fetal tissue, then it's perfectly okay to murder babies and chop them up into little pieces and sell them to the highest. Better. You've got to see it, folks. The mind is the breeding ground. It is the starting place if we seed the mind, if we seed the mindset, if we seed the worldview of our children to this world, they are lost. And so I have to ask, and I, I'm not trying to be mean to this morning, but I have to ask this. Parents, are your kids in Sunday school? If not, why not? Do you not care? Do you not care that their minds are being influenced this way? Do you care at all? What their minds are being filled with? Do you really believe for even a moment that they're going to hear biblical truth on the sports field or in the public schools or on the, on the internet or on television or on Facebook? Do you really believe it even for a second? The devil has got us all confused. It's just not, it's not going to happen. The mind is central. One commentator put it like this. Sin begins in the thought life. We become that which we dwell in upon so i don't know maybe i've gone astray from my text i don't know I, I guess i just thought of this because paul's talking so about the mind here here's what he says he's saying that the mind is one of the things that is wonderfully changed when we're indwelled by the spirit of god wonderfully changed he remakes it well so it affects our mind and forgive me if i went too far astray on that but it does The last thing he says here is, it affects your walk. It affects your walk. Verse number four, Paul describes Christians as those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And we've been talking all around this point already, so I don't know that we need to hammer it too much this morning. But let me just summarize it and move on. The change that took place when we trusted Christ, when we were born again, when we were regenerated and remade into the family of God, it affected not only our minds, but also our lifestyle. The spirit-indwelt Christian lives differently, doesn't just think differently, lives differently than the lost person. I like the way one commentator put it when he said, eternal life has observable characteristics, can be seen. Of course, this is another area where we can turn the searchlight on, right? And examine ourselves. Are we different? What's different in me now, since I trusted Christ? Yesterday 3 of us traveled to Reynoldsburg and we attended the uh, word of or not word of life the uh, voice of the martyrs conference there. One of the things that they were selling was t-shirts. These were black t-shirts and I think they had other things with this on it too. But on this uh, on this t-shirt there was a red marking. It's like a, a U with a dot above it. And it is a marking that Isis paints on the homes and businesses of those who are identified as Christians. It's called the mark of the Nazarene. And that identifies anybody in, within as believers and marks them as folks who uh, you know, are going to be uh, paying the price, whatever that happens to be. Sometimes it's a tax, sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's various things, that all, all the way up to and including death. The Mark of the Nazarene. The Voice of the Martyr sells merchandise with this on it because they want to remind us that there are those living where such a mark on their life, a mark on their door, can mean persecution. And so we partner with them and we pray for them. That mark of the Nazarene tells everybody that the people so marked are Christians, they are different, identifiably so. They have it on their life. And so yes, I thought about that and I looked at that t-shirt and I looked at that mark. I thought, I wonder if there are any such observable characteristics in our lives. Do we bear... The mark of the Nazarene. If somebody looks at us, is there a mark of the Nazarene on our door? See, Paul says here that the indwelling Spirit of God will so mark us and that our walk will be different and that our lives will be different as a result. So it affects our walk. And I said lastly, but I do have one more. It's the source of our victory. The source of our victory. You know, this is the crux of chapter 8. Chapter 8 tells us that in and of ourselves, we can never live for God. We can never think right thoughts. We can never live right lives. We can never live up to the requirements that God has set for us in and of ourselves. In and of ourselves, we are lost and undone. In and of ourselves, we're stuck in the hopelessness of chapter 7. But when we become Christians, all that changes. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God who regenerates us, who remakes us into the family of God and empowers us to think rightly and live rightly. What is impossible for a lost man to do, live in a way that pleases God, is entirely possible for the saved man. And it's the Holy Spirit that makes that difference. The Holy Spirit is what uh, indwells us and becomes the source of our victory. Well, I'm going to stop there. There's a lot more things to say, and we're not done with chapter 8 yet. We'll talk about some more of these things as we continue on. But let me just conclude now by asking something very simple. Let me ask you, how, how, how does this hit home with you? How does it hit home with you? Some are no doubt here this morning saying, praise God for these things. And you ought to be. Praise God. I thank God for the Holy Spirit that I received when I trusted Christ. I praise God for how my thinking is different now because of Him, for how my lifestyle has changed. Oh, He's still working on me, and I'm certainly not what I ought to be, but I'm I'm praising God for the influence I see in my life, for the victory I experience on an increasing basis as the Holy Spirit of God helps me to walk and live for Jesus. Some of you might be saying that this morning. Some of you may also be realizing these things are simply not true in your life. You have no evidence. No evidence that the Spirit indwells you. Your thoughts are just as fleshly as they've ever been. Just as carnal as any other lost person's. You never experience the Holy Spirit helping you and saying, wait a minute. Your life is no different than your lost neighbors. You never feel the Spirit convicting you about that and helping you. There is. Simply put, if you're honest with yourself, no mark of the Nazarene at all. In your life. If you're in that first group, you need to take a minute this morning and praise God. It is glorious to contemplate it. And look what He did for you when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. He forgave your every sin. He cleansed you and justified you and sanctified you. He gave you eternal life. And He came to you and indwells you personally, giving you the ability to do what you could not do on your own. Live a life that is pleasing to God. We ought to praise God for that. But if you're in that second group, you need to trust Christ and you need to do it today because whatever you're trusting in, it's not the real thing. Read the second half of verse number nine. Read it over and over and over again until it sinks in. If you are not indwelt by the spirit of God, you are not saved. It cannot be any clearer. It's right there. And so you need to trust Christ today and you can. You can do it before you leave this place, and oh, how I encourage you to. And then you can join your brothers and sisters who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, because you too will be, and you can rejoice over the victory that that indwelling Spirit of Christ brings to your life.